Welcome to the Teachers Podcast in association with Classroom Secrets, the podcast that's here to help teachers. Whether it's discussing the latest issues in education or sharing top tips for use in the classroom, if you work in education or want to know more about the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Now, please welcome your host, former teacher, life-work balance advocate and successful business owner, Claire Riley. Hi everyone, welcome to Series 2, Episode 5 of the Teachers Podcast. So in this episode, I interviewed Lauren Barrett, former teacher and founder of Wellbeing Workshops. So although we actually recorded the interview a few weeks ago, it's a happy coincidence how relevant the subject is due to the Tier 4 lockdown news that we all received in England over the weekend. So there are some practical tips for being happy, if that's even possible right now, and creating happiness in the classroom. I was really pleased to talk with Lauren about this because... We're on the same page when it comes to what happiness really means. We also chatted about social media. So there's an expectation that schools and teachers will teach children about the internet, social media, etc. But what are we actually teaching them? Are we teaching them just the perceived dangers? Just the issues relating to safeguarding? And it got me thinking about how reliant as adults we are on phones and social media Is it our responsibility to teach children just about the safety aspect or should we be focusing on the mental health side of things as well? They were just my thoughts. Anyway, let's get to the interview. So Lauren, thank you so much for joining me on the Teachers Podcast today. Hey, it's great to see you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And you? Yeah, I'm good. Having a nice evening. Um, So we are... On Zoom, obviously, you're in Plymouth, I'm in Halifax. We were just having a conversation about um, the fact that we probably wouldn't have been able to do this beforehand. So that's a really good thing that we're finally doing it. So you're on the podcast, you've got something important to talk about. So the first thing I ask everyone to do is tell me the life story, basically, beginning to end. Um, Who are you? Where do you come from? How did you get into teaching? What are you doing in education now? Yeah, so I'm Lauren. I'm originally from Torquay in Devon, which if you know Devon, Plymouth is right next to it. Um, When I was in school, I actually wasn't the normal kind of academic student. I got kicked out of a majority of my lessons and actually went to PE because I was quite a sporty student and ended up in year 11, I ended up teaching year seven PE during the lessons I was kicked out of. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, I call it an accidental fall into teaching um I didn't then go straight to from college to uni I actually ended up being kind of like a primary PE sports coach and I was working for a company that delivered PPA lessons and I kind of realized I had a a natural knack for being a PE teacher which led me on to go to Marjon and do my B.Ed Mm -hmm. so I did a B.Ed in physical education Um, But in my final year, my mum actually got cancer, so I ended up deferring a year. Um, And then I went travelling for four months, so Mm -hmm. I actually built up a massive Instagram from travelling. And I got really into kind of social media and I learned a lot about it. And then it started to happen. I went back to teaching to finish my degree. I only had to do my my final teaching placement, but when my mum got ill, I was like, no. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be a teacher. And then a week before I went traveling, I was like, Julie, if anyone knows Marjons, 
Julie Stevens. I was like, please let me come back and do it, Julie. Let me do that final placement. And she said, of course, I was waiting for this email. <laughs> <laughs> so I went back and I finished it. And I then when I was really lucky, my final placement, I actually got a really good school. It was Brixham College and I ended up getting a job there afterwards. So I went mm -hmm. on to be the primary sports partnership lead as of my, in my PE role. Um, my job within that was to deliver lots of like healthy eating and well-being sessions and for me I think I kind of fell out, out of love of being a teacher mm -hmm. so to speak because I was really guided by this curriculum of what I had to teach whereas I knew a lot of the stuff I was teaching wasn't actually everything that would really benefit their well-being and improve their well-being and I didn't have the time or the scope to de like deliver what I wanted to really. Mm -hmm. um, and it kind of led me, to begin with, I was doing it through my blog. So I started delivering social media workshops in schools. So thinking about the pros and cons of social media, the, ben like the benefits of mental health or the negatives of mental health, how they can use it for employment. But then during lockdown actually <laughs> I think a lot happened during lockdown during lockdown I actually started to get a lot more into kind of the in-depth of what I knew about well-being and I thought why am I not teaching this why am I not having this kind of content into my workshops and it also inspired me to apply to do a master's in psychology so not only would I be a qualified teacher I'd also be an accredited psychologist which I think really adds like a depth to the, the level of knowledge that I'll have when I'm teaching these workshops and enable me to really start to improve the well-being of not just like the students but also the staff I think uh, staff in education right now they need a well-being boost. Mm. So what is it you're doing right now then? So right now I am delivering well-being workshops in a number of schools and colleges I work closely with charities in the area and working with a youth organisation, NCS. Um, mm -hmm. So I work closely with them on their school support programme. Um, so I go in and deliver a lot of different workshops. So tell us what, what it would entail. So, so you're going to a primary school. What kind of things are you delivering and teaching in that day? Well, each school gets to choose their wellbeing workshop. It's, it's bespoke. It's made for you. I have five topics. My topics are social media, growth mindset, physical well-being, which is a mixture of healthy eating, meditation, yoga. Um, also, I do sexuality and race explored within the workshops as well, but it's not one that a primary school may necessarily take up. Mm -hmm. And so there's lots of different aspects that we go in and do, and the school actually gets to choose it. So it's completely bespoke. And, oh, I forgot my last topic, which was happiness, which was one of the important ones. Mm -hmm. Um, the school gets to do it so if, say if I was going in and I was delivering a healthy eating workshop we would go in have really interactive engaging lessons they would try different foods we would talk about the well-being of why we would eat healthily what the effect is on our body and our mind and the same kind of goes across all of that so social media what is the impact of social media on your body what is the so impact of social media on your mind because a lot of people we weren't taught about social media mm -hmm. so yeah. we're kind of that generation that was the tested generation so how does it impact us and how can we stop the future generations coming up having that issue and having the same mental health crisis around it 
Yeah, I find that really interesting because I think when we think about social media and we think about teaching children, we often think about cyberbullying or, you know, seeing an Instagram model who's um, photoshopped themselves, but maybe you don't know they photoshopped themselves. But it's not just that, is it? You know, I think about the usage of phones quite a lot and I use mine a lot for work, but I am becoming more and more aware of just how much it's in my life and I don't like it. And we need to be teaching children that as well, don't we? That yeah, it's, so it's just we can rely on it too much. One of our favourite tasks to do is your screen time check. So mm. they, the fact is when I tell a class that they can get their phone out, it's like the most mind-blowing thing to them to begin with because they're like, what? I'm allowed my phone yeah and I'm like yeah right now look at your screen time and I think the record I had was about 16 hours on their phone in a day so wow. and I said well how many hours are in a day 24 so you spend eight sleeping and then you spend the rest on your phone which and is it's having, yeah it's about developing the kind of the critical thinking skills and the reflection on what they're doing I think there's a lack of awareness that is kind of being taught to get people to realise and then when we've had that awareness when we've got the critical thinking what's the next step so then we start to look at what procedures can they put in place when they realise social media is affecting them or what procedures can they put in place when they realise that their mood is lowering but the first step is to get them to be able to identify that yeah yeah and like you know obviously for, for children getting the, the phone out in lessons you know you are talking about when you're going into a secondary school and I know you're going to primary as well but what's frightening for me, because I've got a daughter who's just out of primary school, uh, she's in reception class, I'm thinking, well, do you know what, it's only a few short years and she'll be 11, um, and she'll be in the, you know, year six, and will she have a phone by then? I, I, don't, I don't know, I haven't thought through that, and I haven't, I suppose there's lots of things to consider, and also the world will have moved on quite a bit by then as well, so who knows if there'll be phones, there might be something else. Um, but yeah, that is really interesting because you're thinking they don't just switch, do they? They, they build up to that. And what, yeah. are, what are we saying in the earlier years about this? And what, what are we demonstrating as well as adults? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, they model themselves on us. So if you wonder why your five-year-old always wants to be on your phone, then that's because you are probably on your phone quite a lot around them and they want to mm. model you. And also sometimes it's kind of like the easy entertainment as well to have that. But I think we just need to start educating and teaching at an earlier age. And although we're st it's stated in social media that they shouldn't use it until like the age of 13, how many parents actually do kind of monitor that and how many do look at because who's if their child is using social media and what happens on there um we all know the risks of a young child being on social media from a safeguarding perspective as mm. teachers and people in education we know that but how are we really getting that out there and is it right and it's, it's not just about kind of the cyberbullying or mm. having that danger but it's also about if they are using social media before they should do what are they seeing online and who are they comparing themselves to and what are they comparing themselves to and who's trying to talk to them as well yeah and that as well so it's kind of we kind of focus on the not the kind of side of the safety 
because there's a lot of coverage in that in the curriculum already and there's a lot of talking about that we kind of focus on the mental health side of it so we look at the social comparisons you make the mm. effect that social media can have on your well-being and your mood and that we kind of explore that in a lot more depth which isn't really covered mm-hmm. so obviously um before um we, we do an interview I always ask for uh, quite a lot of information um, which you kind of filled out so um, just just going back to that you talked about the fact that you use research to shape your lesson content so can you talk me through some of that like what what research have you found and what do you find useful to put in your lessons? I mean I, I use research to shape it but I don't necessarily go into a lesson and would tell a primary school student that this is research but everything we do (laughs) is shaped around new and out there research and maybe things that as educators we're too busy to look at so the growth mindset workshops that we do that's all based around the research of how a growth mindset can really improve academic grades and it can have a positive impact on enabling students to accept and use feedback a lot more um, compared to the fixed mindset which is part of the research and a fixed mindset is and I'm sure you've had this where a student doesn't want to kind of progress they don't like to have negative feedback because that negative feedback makes them feel bad about themselves Mm. whereas they see I read a really good quote regarding the growth mindset and the fixed mindset so in a fixed mindset the failure becomes your identity and you become a failure if you get kind of the bad feedback whereas in a growth mindset the failure becomes something that you want to then grow from and Mm. expand and get better with um but i mean there's an amazing free course out there called the science of well-being i think it's on coursera that any teacher could go and look at Mm. and it kind of underpins everything the science of well-being it underpins the positive and the negatives all around there and it highlights some really key research and up-to-date research as well so if someone wanted to go and look further into i'd recommend going to there that's brilliant thank you um and i think I, I suppose that some schools are, are being able to um, sort of put training on for this and other schools not so much um, and teachers it's really important isn't it I think I am um, I'm quite into personal development so this is something that um, I've looked at a lot in the last four or five years but when I was in teaching I wouldn't have looked at this and I, I honestly probably would have thought oh it's an extra thing to think about um, and it is difficult to kind of find that time so it is it is useful I guess when you've got somebody coming in who can kind of present this um, and also you know when we're talking about mindset as well and you do have those students who don't want to accept that negative feedback then it's more likely isn't it that they're going to accept this kind of information from somebody who is not their teacher um in the first instance um because sometimes they associate i guess the negative feedback with a certain person to start with and you kind of need to unpick that first don't you yeah definitely and i i would say that having a, someone who goes in as an outsider and I use my first name, which instantly is a something that allows them to crowd kind of resonate. Yeah, they resonate with me, and it's it's just a weird one because it's just it's what I'm still a teacher, 
but they just don't know that. Mm. <laughs> and it's just a weird perspective that they have that I come in and I'm a different person and I'm not as formal in the way I am I'm more relaxed and they can resonate with what I'm saying and they can talk to me and use my first name and it is just it's just such a when I go in the dynamic of it is so strange because I know instantly if I tell them that I'm a teacher it will change everything mm. so you go into schools you've you've been into secondary schools you've been into primary schools and, and obviously you'll observe maybe what the children already know, what they don't know. If, if there were two things that you really wanted teachers everywhere to know that maybe you feel that they don't know um, about well-being, what would they be? I would say to just go and have a look at actually what really makes you happy. So if I said to you right now, what makes you happy? What would be your top three things? like what would make you instantly happier in this moment in this moment right now it's it's interesting because i've actually talked about this recently on the podcast yeah. and about and about happiness yeah um i wouldn't say i've got the top three things i think okay it's, for me it would be lots of different things that would happen in the day that i like doing that that would be incremental um yeah. so i like it i like spending time with my children when they're being good yeah. <laughs> you've already be put your caveat. condition in there yeah has to be the caveat yeah. at the end um and um i like going for walks and there's so many things i like and i think happiness is about realizing what makes you happy is the small things and putting those things in your day well you kind of answered my question because most people Sorry. in that moment that's fine it's good you've done it you're showing it most people and especially when you go in and the teachers are so stressed you say what would make you so much happier right now and they would be like a million dollars so I don't have to work anymore mm. and they think having or a pay rise or having a new Ferrari and like that's a lot of the things that we think will make us happier however that is the stuff that doesn't make us happier. Yeah. So my so my job would well my task for you would to be go and have a look at actually what is going to make you happier and then try to embed that. My second one is try to embed what you find out about happiness into your classroom and teach the children that you're teaching that happiness doesn't just happen. There's a reason that you don't wake up happy every morning. It's not an easy thing. Mm to be consistently happy or have, and it's not even a pressure, but to try and have that consistent happiness, which we're all kind of striving for. It's something that we want. It takes hard work yeah. and it takes you embedding habit, habits into your lifestyle. It's also not a constant state either. You know, you can't no. have, you can't be happy all the time. And um, somebody that I follow, and I think when he said it, it, it was really clear to me. I think, to me, I think this is, um, I feel like as I've grown a business or as I've become more um, more relied upon or more responsible for for a wider group of people, so this might be for head teachers, um, I've sort of found that this is more relevant. But I used to think I had good days and bad days, but actually now you have good and bad in every day and you just have to kind of accept it. You can... Uh, I don't feel like I can have a good day now without having something bad happen. Um, and it's just when you're exposed to, to more people, I guess, and it's just perspective, isn't it? So if you sort of just hone in on the bad thing that happened, you've had a bad day, but if you see it as balanced and you think, well, I can appreciate both the good and the bad, 
then yeah. it's a step towards happiness. I mean, people will quickly write a day off as being a bad day and then it's a ruined day, even if it's 10 a.m. in the morning and just because you spilt your coffee on yourself on the way to work. So yeah. it's about having th- that kind of mindfulness as well to realise, OK, this has happened, but my day is going to get better. And if something else bad happens, OK, this has happened, but my day is going to get better. It doesn't kind of signify what your whole day is and especially when you're teaching and you've got that class that you really don't want to teach you're like oh it's that class I'm going in especially as a secondary school teacher when you have Mm -hmm. so many different classes in a day and you go in and you think oh god I really don't want to be here I really don't want to be in this class I'm going to have a terrible lesson they're going to be horrendous that is kind of you've already set the tone of your lesson and you've already set the tone of what's going to probably happen in there. And it's so funny when you see a teacher come out and they've been expecting that they're going to have the worst lesson. They're like, Oh my God, they were so well behaved. I wasn't expecting that. And you're like, well, it's, you've got to have a bit more faith in them. Sometimes they can be horrendous and they can be horrible, but they can also, if they kind of resonate with you, that you're a person, which sometimes I think they, they forget that a teacher is a person. It's like you're a robot. Yeah, I used to be a secondary school teacher. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I had to um I had to teach performing arts to all of year nine. They forced year nine to do four lessons of performing arts a week. <laughs> oh. I'm sure they all loved you. <laughs> they thought I was the bees knees. Yeah. <laughs> the boys. Um, oh yeah. But yeah, um sometimes it's hard. And I think, you know, for teachers it is hard because um I've been reading a lot recently about willpower and how that's actually a muscle and that it gets tired and towards the end of the day it's tired and I just think as a teacher you are you've got to make so many decisions in a day that you are so exhausted by 12 p.m and that's why it's so difficult to kind of think right okay be positive um it's really not an easy task at all um just to kind of keep keep going and 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 sort of believe that something could be different um yeah definitely so also in your backstory you talked to me about um how one time you had to you had to teach maths through p because they uh, you had children who just wouldn't wouldn't do um it without so I thought I just thought that'd be really interesting to kind of talk about um on the podcast because there might be children with difficult class out there and they might just get some ideas of how they could maybe make their lessons a bit more active or something like that yeah so during that time it's when I was working in a behavior unit so I was working in a secondary behavior unit and I just had one one boy who that's how small the classes are that class was one boy so okay (laughs) yeah so it was a small one but he refused to do any maths because he didn't believe that he could do maths at all he thought he was in his own words rubbish at maths so the only way I could get him to do any kind of maths was to play football or to do PE in some way whether that was timing um a sprint race although one time I did pull a muscle and was still forced to do the run (laughs) (laughs) um or whether that was playing football and tallying which how many he scored and how many didn't from his penalty um but there's if you're a teacher looking for a mainstream class to put in physical activity I would say go and have a look at active maths because they have 
a load of resources out there and and putting maths into PE is probably one of the easiest ways if you think about um, kind of like sequencing and you can use a dice to, to show them what movement you want them to make or you could there's like counting like maths in PE is kind of everywhere literacy is a harder one but I was reading online today that someone was using uh, especially in primary schools like books that had lots of movement in them mm-hmm. um, I can't think of a, the name of a book off the top of my head but they was using they was teaching their PE lessons with literacy through stories mm. and then when the book would do something say you was doing the three little pigs you would build a house and then they would use a, a, a find a way to knock the house down so it can be active if you're kind of willing to be creative and try things that may, might make you look a bit weird to other people to begin with just to begin with and then yeah and then you and then they'll start brilliant. doing it yeah they'll start yeah. doing it they'll be like oh my god they love it okay yeah i'm in okay um so obviously right now is a really interesting time and we were talking about that just before we started recording um and i think for a lot of people it's it's been really hard on people's mental health and um even knowing what it is that makes them happy so what kind of tips have you got for embedding happiness in a classroom in the current climate especially when maybe children or teachers are just worried about catching the virus i mean it's kind of hard because we're all in a really difficult kind of situation right now but i guess if we think about some of the principles of happiness one of them is gratitude so can you get students to think about what they're grateful for for the day uh, can you have it the last five minutes of your day could that be them sharing or oh, I'm really grateful because Sophie was really kind and let me lent me her pen especially in a primary school environment you've well, got they that didn't option. know right now because you know oh that's true no no pen lending <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really happy corona Sophie, special this is <laughs> yeah this is a corona special Sophie gave me an air hug and didn't touch me today <laughs> yeah and it's just like sharing why you're grateful um and getting you to reflect on what you're happy about and something that happened in your day that is actually good kind of gets rid of that whole do you know what we're saying you either had a good day or a bad day Mm. because you've got to think of something good yeah um i would also say storytelling is an amazing way to get to especially if it's a storytelling about an experience it's one way that gets everyone else involved with what you're doing. You have those set like social connections that you're developing when you're talking and you're really back in the moment in your mindfulness moment and you're thinking about what you did and why you was really happy with that. But obviously that can be difficult for some students who might not get that experience. So also making sure and trying to have a kind of that experience that they could then talk about that happened in the classroom. For example if they don't have that in their home life um, and then just for you as a teacher have a look at happiness and try to be that it's hard to be consistently happy when you're teaching teaching and hard to be that bubble but just to have a think about your mindset and what you're showing them and what they're seeing from you because it is contagious like what you do and the way you are even in, if inside you're having the worst day try to on the outside have the best day and it is a hard thing to do mm. I guess a, a, an interesting activity might be to obviously um, I mean I started 
writing a list of things that little things that make me feel happy um and i keep that as an open list so that if i think of something else i can add to it and one of the principles is then to to add as many of those to your day as you possibly can to live a happy life so i suppose really there's an argument for as a class kind of listing all the things that that make everybody happy and i don't know whether there's a ranking system on there depending on how many people have written that um, and obviously you'd need to make sure that you could cover all of those things because there might be one child out there who finds very um, different things to everyone else so yeah. it makes them happy but what kind of tips have you got then for teachers or staff that are in schools um, you know thinking about that, their well-being and the fact that you know what there's a lot of teachers out there that feel like they're just waiting to be hung really um <laughs> because they're you know they're having to to do this in primary school there's no masks and um yes the children are in bubbles but they're in in quite large bubbles and it wasn't all right the day before they went back to school but then the day they went to school it was okay um you see what i mean it's it's not been the easiest easiest time for the profession trying to jump through these hoops so have you got any advice of how teachers can kind of look after their own well-being? I mean, it is a really kind of unique time, I'm going to say. Yeah. A unique time of something that many of us have never, ever experienced other than your nan who might talk to you about the Spanish flu that happens. <laughs> so <laughs> so it's, it's crazy. I mean, for me, you've got to remember that although you are kind of... You, you do have these responsibilities and it's hard because you're constantly having someone above you saying, remember this and you've got to do this and you need to do this. But at the end of the day, you are kind of the most important person to yourself. Mm. And it's about kind of sometimes stepping back from a situation if you can feel that it's becoming really overwhelming and the government puts in a new procedure at 6pm on the, the previous night that you need yes, to change. Yes. And especially if you're at a classroom teacher level i mean a lot of it comes from headship so how are the slt helping you and supporting you and giving you the guidance that you need and i would just say if you're not feeling that you're getting that and if you can it's not always possible we know that we've been there but if you can speak to them and just say this is what i need support with and be honest with yourself um i think what teachers struggle with a lot is time affluence and that just refers to you having the perspective in yourself of how much time you actually have mm. and I find well when I was teaching I found that teachers wish their life away a lot yeah because they're constantly going oh it's nearly the weekend yeah it's nearly the weekend it's nearly half term it's nearly this it's nearly summer holidays yeah. I would say try to change your perspective so that you're not wishing your life away mm. um, and have and try to change your perspective on time as well because we feel that we have no time as teachers and maybe you don't but if you try to change your mindset around that it might actually make you to start start to feel a little bit more positive about what you do have um I would or, or, or help us um i don't want to say look after it but but manage it better um yeah. and no teacher wants to be told that um they're not managing the time well because because we do manage our time well it's more how do we make some of the tasks smaller 
Um, and I always think of, of this now I'm out of teaching and I can look back on it and I've done a lot of personal development. I think, okay, if I, um, I think of that, when you're on an aeroplane, they say, put your own face mask on first before you kind of help a child. And that seems awful, doesn't it? But then when you think about it, it makes so much sense because, you know, you could die putting the face mask on your daughter if you don't put your own face mask on first, which is going to be relatively quick. And I think teachers are kind of guilty of that mindset of, well, and, and it's not just about children. I'll always help everyone else first. And I, I eat last. And we forget that we're not going to be as effective unless we are selfish um, in a way that's appropriate to be and look after ourselves first. And I think you can get to that point and you can know that as a teacher, but then it's the how and how you implement that and how, okay, so if I put myself first, what does that mean? Because I've still got to mark my books and I've still got to plan my lessons. So how can I get to that place where I'm looking after myself and I'm doing that? And I think sometimes that does lie in the leadership of the school. Um, yeah, 100%. But it comes down to as well what we were talking about at the beginning. Your first step is kind of reflection. So you need to reflect on what you've been doing and why you're feeling the way you are. So I would always say if, if you're feeling something that is different or you don't want to be feeling that feeling, then you need to think about, okay, why am I feeling this? Mm. And once you've identified that, it's, it's up to you to kind of put the strategies in there. There's loads of different strategies out there and it kind of depends on what's affecting you. So if you're saying I'm not getting enough sleep, okay so why are you not getting enough sleep what is it that's stopping you from getting the sleep and what strategies could you put in so could you kind of meditate before you go to bed could you stop looking at your phone could you kind of try like meditation as well I would say is a key thing that will help you during your stress to take Mm -hmm. 10 minutes of your day where you just sit there and try not to think of anything and you mm. meditate and whether that's through a meditation story or just for you by yourself, but that will actually make you more productive. Um, and meditation and yoga increases your, the gray matter in your brain as well. And even in children, and it increases your attention span. Um, so if you're looking to increase the attention span of your class, get some <laughs> meditation in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Actually yeah. I do have somebody coming on the podcast soon who, um, teaches yoga and thinks yep. she's quite passionate about teaching it the proper way and not through a story. Um, yeah. but my daughter actually loves cosmic yoga. Um, yeah. On YouTube I mean, as well. I love teaching yoga through the fact that you can make most moves or Tai Chi cause it really focuses you in it does there's so much research out there that shows the effect that it has on attention and the fact that it increases gray matter in the brain which obviously everybody wants a bigger brain mm-hmm. um but tai chi and yoga tai chi when you're doing these slow movements i get them to pretend they're superheroes or yoga a lot of them a lot of the poses you can change into like kind of animal poses mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be the i know that some people are very traditionalists mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be it can just be a fun kind of lesson when they don't even realize they're doing anything that's good for their well-being especially the younger ones yeah yeah oh no she she loves it's always some kind of story like i think one of the stories is frozen um, yeah and she talks through the story and 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 she really really likes it um, yeah Okay, so my four closing questions then, which are always quite hard for people. Um, 
if you could wave a magic wand, how would you solve the life work balance problem? I mean, it's a tough one, isn't it? Like life work balance is what everybody wants. And for me, the way I solved my life work balance was starting my own business. I don't know if that solved it, but it made me in control of it. So I took the control out of someone else's hands and put it in my own. So now everything I do is because I've, I've done it and I've got that or it's because I want to do it. And if I don't want to do it, I don't do it. That's the Mm -hmm. way it is. So, I mean, um, that's just my mindset on it I guess it depends from person to person because it is a risky move at the same time mm-hmm. but if you're still in teaching kind of don't help what what magic do you think is needed for something to change you know what is what's the biggest thing that's the problem I would say teachers need more PPA time and the yeah. high, the more the oh, sorry the higher you progress in the teaching scale should not reflect the amount of PPA you get. Because if you want teachers who are constantly reflecting and adapting and changing, you need teachers to have time to think because at the moment teachers are so overworked that there is absolutely no reflection time. There isn't. And you're so right about time to think. And it's something I was reflecting on the other day with somebody that I struggle to find time to think because I've got children around all the time. And then when I'm working, I'm like in lots of meetings and actually you do need that time to really reflect, to deliver something different. Um, yeah. Otherwise you can't deliver anything different from what you've always done before. Can you? No, exactly. And I've got a business mentor and she was, she's a di- well, was a director of some of the biggest food companies in the UK. And one of her tips that she gave me the other day, and she always gives me amazing tips is, she actually said to me in six months time you're going to book yourself in two or three days off and you're going to go somewhere and you'll reflect and that's coming from her I call her the hobnob lady her name is Pam but she created the hobnob if you want to know a legend mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah she's a legend and that she was one of the biggest directors in three or four of the biggest kind of food companies mm-hmm. at a time where women weren't in senior management so yeah um, I will always take Pam's advice so every now and again you need to make sure that you have the time to reflect and with teaching it's a continuous cycle of reflection but if you want to embed that into your organization then you need to think as SLT how am I giving my staff an opportunity to reflect do they have time to because you don't do it in the moment you need time to sit back and just have a breather and think okay yeah. And it doesn't just happen like that either. It's, it still takes. It, and it's not, reflecting doesn't happen um, sat there in a staff meeting either. Or no. saying, right, okay, take some time to reflect. You know, reflecting happens by organising something like a walk. Um, yeah. Because your mind is in a different state. Um, that's why people get good ideas in the shower. <laughs> yeah. Or when you're sat on the toilet. Like, you know, when I was at uni, I'd... I'd be struggling with an essay go and sit on the toilet and think oh my god I've had the best idea ever and then be back and it's like I'm taking <laughs> I mean not oh my god I had the best me and my my friends would say we had the best ideas when we were sat on the toilet and it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> and we would go and we would and you it's like like when I work throughout a day like today I've had a paperwork day and doing business admin but my first hour was that I went for a walk and that was part of my day then I worked for two hours and then I went to some fa- my family's for lunch 
then I came back and I worked for a few hours and then I did some yoga and then I worked a little bit and then I went out and then I came back and when I'm out and I'm my mind's not trying to force something out of me that's when I have those moments of oh yeah I could do this Mm. and a lot of the times if I work for 20 or 30 minutes I'm a lot more productive than if I work for two or three hours at a time perhaps that's um a good tip for PPA to uh, try and work in shorter bursts um I think a lot of the problem is is fitting that into the day because as much as you know lots of people would think that the day is only nine till three then you put on the staff meeting at, at the end of that until half past four and then you've got to mark all your books and and it's difficult to fit fit that in um so yes definitely needed more time basically an yeah. extra day a week um where do you think <laughs> education is going to go in the next 10 years i mean it's hard to predict where education is going to go because we know that every time we have a new government that comes in mm-hmm. they're going to change that and they're gonna put their own stamp on it and for me the way i i would like education to go is i would like it to be taken out of the hands of the government and put into an independent kind of organization who alter what we do based on the outcomes that we have Mm -hmm. and the outcomes aren't always based on what's the best grades we can get but more about where can we take a student from and get them to and how can we develop the skills that they need um i know i'm living like a real my best life here i'm hoping that's what will happen I, I can't see that happening. Mm. Um, I don't see that happening. I imagine that we're still going to stay very academically focused and we're constantly going to be trying to close the gap, which I, I say is we're not really closing the gap. We're still pushing yeah. students higher and separating the gap a lot more. Yeah, and also it's, it's about being well-rounded, isn't it? We need to, we need to make sure that we're, we're focusing on the whole child um i mean when we had sorry to interrupt you so when we had the every child matters framework on out there there was a lot more focus on making sure that children's needs were met Mm. and i actually think the government came in and removed a piece of framework and policy that was actually working quite well which is a shame and i think it'd be great to see that implemented in some way again um but we, at the moment, there is just such a focus on academic grades and progress eight if you're in secondary school or closing the gap and getting the attainment and getting the SAT scores. And I was working with some year sevens the other day and I said to them, my first question was, so how did you feel about not having to take your SATs? And their answer was, oh my God, it was the best thing ever. I was so relieved. I was so, so relieved. You don't even understand and then they was like, what do we even need SATs for? Mm. And then at that point I said, well, it just shows secondary schools what, what set you should be in. But at this point, all secondary schools have created their own way of assessing the students when they get to secondary school. Yes. So maybe that's something that might change next year. Maybe the government will see, maybe we don't need that, but then they won't have a way to measure primary schools. So <laughs> Yeah, th- this is a thing. And, yeah. and obviously it's a conversation that a lot of, teachers having you know do we actually need sats um because we removed them at year nine so okay so who was your favorite teacher at school and why 
my favourite PE teacher was a PE teacher called Miss Nichols and she was my favourite PE teacher because she was the one that let me come down and teach PE when I was kicked out of my lessons <laughs> but she also taught me little tricks about uh, when I was when I was actually in the lesson she would show me how she would get students who weren't involved involved like simple little things that I took with me when I was teaching so she'd be like yeah so watch this Lauren and I'm like what she's like so this girl's not involved but I'm gonna go and tell her to get that bag of balls over there and then watch this and then she would teach me little things so she mm -hmm. obviously saw my potential in there and she would teach me little things and then when I got into teaching I kind of took that with me yeah that's nice that she taught you so young as well yeah well I was in year 11 I think I was in a very unique position I, I, I don't think many schools would have let that happen but for me I was I was never a classroom person <laughs> <laughs> and then you ended up in the classroom after all well I ended up doing well I, I guess I ended up being quite a creative teacher and a lot of my classes ended up being completely personalized to the group and the students that I had so I would go in there and I'd think oh they really don't like being in a classroom so today we're going to go outside and I think yeah. for, I love teaching when I could have that creativity mm -hmm. when I had time to kind of do that but then it kind of got to the stage where I thought okay this is all kind of becoming too much now and that's why I took a step back and I went traveling again and then I ended up here with mm -hmm. my well-being workshop company Okay, well done. Um, and what did you want to be when you grew up? I mean, I never in school had something specifically that I wanted to be. <laughs> and then I kind of just naturally went to college and thought, well, I was really good at teaching PE back in the day. And I was really good at actually coaching this. So maybe I'll try to be a PE teacher. Um, but the first time I tried to apply to be a PE teacher, I applied for the B.Ed. when I was 18 and mm -hmm. the B.Ed. at Marjon, um, they only have about 15 places and they have over three, 400 people that they actually interview. And then they have a few thousand people that apply every year. So being a PE teacher is actually one area of teaching that we have too many of us. Mm -hmm. There's too many PE teachers out there. There's too many people that want to be a PE teacher. So when I was 18, I actually got rejected and that's when I went and became a PPA cover, a sports coach, mm. and developed my practice even more. And I would say I spent about three years because I had written down everything I did in the interview for the B.Ed. to get onto the B.Ed. in secondary PE. And I spent three years training myself to pass the interview to get onto <laughs> that. <laughs> and it was little things like you had to do gymnastics in there, but... I'm not that great at gymnastics as a PE teacher. It's something that you're good at or, you're, or you need to work on. And I remember, I think my mum and dad hated me, but the night before my interview, I was doing like forward rolls on my bed. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> so, so you really how, wanted it though. Yeah, and that's the thing, and that comes to the growth mindset as well, is if there's something, like I, I've kind of gone off topic here, I'm sorry, but if there's something that you want to do, you need to go back and look and take the failure as the feedback of this is what you need to do to get there and mm -hmm. how are you going to do it and have that plan but I would never say that I wanted to be a PE teacher and I would never say that I wanted to have my own company but I feel like it's kind of all just happened it was kind of the right taking the right opportunity at the right time when it was presented yeah. to you 
Well, Lauren, thank you so much. Um, it's been lovely to have you on the Teachers Podcast, especially as you're so far away and I don't think we probably would have ever met in person because um, Plymouth is such a long way from sunny Yorkshire. Um, so thank you so much. No, thank, thank, thanks for having me. It's been great. Thank you so much for listening. A thought that struck me on the back of the conversation was about the personal development of teachers. I remember my time in teaching and I feel that it's something that I would not have had time for. I wonder if we should be thinking about it at a leadership level in schools and making it part of our CPD. So knowing how to look after yourself, feel positive, manage workloads better, etc. is important. And I know that as teachers, we think that we have that under control, but there's so much more we can do and it's more effective if we do it together at a school level. And one could argue that it's more important than being trained on the latest assessment policy or implementing the latest initiative that we want to jump on the bandwagon with. It's uncomfortable, yes, but I'm just going to leave it there. You'll find everything that Lauren and I talked about in the show notes. Our listenership has grown so much during the past 15 months since we started the show. And if you love listening, I'd be so grateful if you could leave us a five-star review on your usual podcast app. You can also join me in the Teachers Podcast community on Facebook. See you next week. Thank you for listening. The Teachers Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets, a provider of high-quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk.